The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. church, what the similarities is there, can we transfer some of this to our context in the United States, which, uh, when you were reading this, what did it, uh, what kind of light that came upon you, uh, what cultural groups? It, Excuse me? It would have been most like the slavery context, the slavery context before the Civil War. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, you, could, you could say it's similar to uh, like the way that migrant workers are treated or something the same. All right. The same struggle that we find in this uh, two-thirds world context we find in the United States. Uh, you all have a copy? Have you all read it? No. Okay. You should have it. You should be able to intelligently review some of these pieces. But someone give me kind of a general overview of the feelings and uh, some of the attitudes in this uh, in this case study. What's your sense of what's going on here? Uh, any other thoughts on general overview of this? I'd like to find out what you're thinking and how you resolve this problem too. And then you got a handle on stuff. He's thinking of how to bring the two factions together so that they worship together because they. What what two fashions? What uh, the untouchables and then the farmer, yeah, farmer, you know, the, yeah, the farmer, and the, he, you know, they look onto the untouchables as uh, <laughs> low class people. Okay. So uh, he's finding it difficult to bring both of them together to worship in one central place. You know, and so um, uh, he he tried to have a, a Bible study with them and uh, presented to them that uh, by hot forces and neither Jew nor Greek, you know, trying to present uh, to them that everybody is equal before God. And, uh, so that through that you will be able to convince them to come together. You know, what you can. What's the ten, what's the the fear that that uh, is behind his mind as well? What is he afraid may happen? Okay. They are afraid that the the farmers are afraid that if they get closer to the untouchables, then they will not uh, they will become some uh, something like unclean. And they will not be able to associate with uh, their people. And that uh, the fear is is that uh, if he tries to bring them together, mm-hmm. then the farmers will go back to Hinduism. All right. That is one of the Okay. So we have 
declining churches. Also, the, the gospel would get pigeonholed being a message for only the lower classes. He's, he's afraid that it will hedge him in from reaching out to all people from all the different castes. You know, I think uh, bearing on that, it's an issue of precedent. This is like a largely unchurched area, and and it's not like oh well we're going to have do our church our way in America when you can do have lots of options. It's more like more like you're establishing uh, almost like establishing a doctrine um, mm-hmm. by by whatever precedent is, is set. And uh, I sort of I thought that it seemed like as much as he wanted to integrate uh, um, Paul's uh, affirm, I would get to be called the ecclesiology or the, mm-hmm. the doctrine of church structure um, of church government where that included all, all people he's, he, he's just as much concerned about uh, the, maybe the upper caste uh, getting victimized by the broader uh, believing subculture uh, just like the untouchables are then, and really, in a sense, sort of increasing a, a sense of oppression. And uh, I just, uh, I think there's a lot, many things going through his mind. It's not just um, how do I get a certain uh, righteous ideal accomplished in this church. It's what are the ramifications of those, of these ideas that really have no bearing on being a Christian in the sense of one's salvation, but has to do with has to do with uh, allowing um, the, the cultures to to people to find a, a good way to express themselves in their culture. Okay. Let's let's go. Yes. Where is I, don't, it I don't. I don't understand. Why don't you explain what you mean by being afraid of the higher caste being victimized? Well, if if um, okay. Let's say Bill is high caste, and I across the table am low caste, and all of you pagans around me are are, are, are not are not Christians. Or, okay, you're not Christians at all. You're Hindus, and uh, and Bill realizes, hey, from my study of the word, my discipleship by the pastor John in paragraph two. I realize I am living, this is Bill's thinking, I realize that I am living contrary to the ideals presented to me in Holy Scripture. So I'm, I've decided I'm going to make a sacrifice and I'm going to come down to Bob's church, to Bob's untouchable church, and I'm, I'm going to start fellowship with him. Now once this clean, upper-class man comes and joins me, we've got the surrounding community that are, is going to treat Bill just like he's treating me. I mean, that, that's like everyone else is treating me as an untouchable because now Bill is unclean. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's really removed himself from a whole, a whole, a whole people group. Is that clear? Or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel? Okay, well, yeah, respond to us. Help us with that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Excuse me. I found the difference between 
John Don Mission away and uh, in this house and Brindley uh, come in the city of God. Okay, listen to yeah, book yeah, on yeah, city of God. Yes. yes. Uh, he uh, he visited uh, the city character Tanzania. At that time, he sh uh, he showed himself very sensitive to the conflict between two classes. The, the privileged class and, uh, and uh, uh, the oppressed class in mm -hmm. India. But John doesn't, John doesn't seem to me to show that kind of response to the, the India society. Mm -hmm. uh, John's trouble is just about uh, the evangelization. His trouble is about the uh, equality of two classes in front of God. Uh, he, uh, I mean, he, he thinks everybody is one just in front of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, <coughs> but uh, the Linscom, I think the Linscom has a holistic idea of the gotcha. Uh -huh. I mean, uh, he, uh, he found the the systemic error as well as in the, in the individual error in the gospel. But John, John, John doesn't realize that kind of uh, truth in the gospel. I mean, uh, I think, uh, I think Linscom understands the whole gospel, but I think John uh, just uh, has has a kind of superficial understanding of Would you have brought them, what would be your, would you have, after evangelizing both caste systems, understanding that there is another, there's a whole group of people observing something as profound as the caste system in this uh, culture, would you have brought them together, would you, what would be your theological persuasion? Uh, uh, you know, uh, I think we have to, Ultimately, we have to make a choice between two classes. We we can set we cannot satisfy two classes. I mean, uh, if we try to make a feel comfortable for uh, privileged classes, we have to ignore the low classes. If we if we try to satisfy uh, low classes, we have to ignore. The, the high class. That's, that's the trouble okay. we have. I think we have to follow the, the teaching of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, there, there is a, uh, Ma, Ma, Maria Teresa? Uh -huh. Yeah, there is a Maria Teresa. I think she doesn't have the same attitude to evangelize India like, like as John does. Alright, okay, helpful, very much. Yes. I thought uh, almost right away when I read this uh, um, passage in Acts where Peter is on the roof and he has the vision. The unclean? Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. I just, that just set off bells for me because I How many of us uh, were moved by the Spirit to look at Acts? Uh, Aiden. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's Christian. No, we're sorry. <laughs> okay, good, good passage. You've made us uh, see something. Yeah. Just, once I started thinking in that mode, I thought, you know, well, Judaism and Hinduism are not very unlike on this issue of, of you know, the priests not being able to do this and that because, you know, they, they mm. couldn't 
because of all this clean unclean, and it seems like that's a pretty central theological issue. Um, like, that this, what they're struggling with is what God has done through Christ to these people, and, you know, are the two sets of casts really looking at each other saying, through Christ, you are, you're clean, you know, you're not unclean, you know, you're clean, and maybe other people see you as that. I'm, I'm wondering if they really have that, that theological issue down. That's what I, you're saying as far as holistic, uh, in some ways, whereby um, you're uh, you're willing to uh, disregard the effects of that on the whole culture. Well, I, I would say two things. One, I think that both casts need to have a theological aspect solid in their spiritual life, um, and then there's a point of spiritual maturity. Like, how willing are they to go into society and expose themselves to persecution? Mm. You can't just jump into that. And you know, just like you can't put a, 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 a young Christian, you know, who's still yeah. on milk, you know, yeah. into that. Okay. Um, so there has to be some, I think, care there that, you know, everybody just doesn't go running in and turn everything upside down. See, the illustration also is that Bill is over here as a Christian, uh, high caste, and here is a church, and here is a high caste group that have come to Christ, and you're the low class. Uh, Bob, and you have, you have a low-class Christians. That's another conflict. It's not necessarily the, the outside, but here he won't get close to you, doesn't want to be close to you, uh, understanding that you're both purchased by the blood of Christ. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought of the issues that she's raising as well, but I also think you see in the New Testament people struggling with this. Yeah. Peter didn't want to go to Cornelius' house. The Corinthians couldn't get it together. Um, Paul had to write a letter to, to, to uh, Philemon to get him to receive an essence back. So I see this tension, this genuine tension going on in the New Testament. People are trying to deal with it. And uh, even though we have the answers, we say absolutely all men are one in Christ. Can't deny that, get around it. There's a working towards it going on in the New Testament as well. Trying to step over the old prejudices. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, uh, what I see is John was in a blanket situation. You know, he rejoiced over the fruit of the evangelism. But also, I think he emphasized too much on the unity of Christ in, in, uh, at that point. Uh, because, well, after that, he realized the, the cultural heritage of the farmer crowd. They are afraid of losing their status, their privileges, their respect they have among the even the, even the, the worry whether the, the children can get married to the same couple. Uh, right, that was a concern. So that kind of fear still exists. Mm -hmm. So, well, we know that we have to emphasize the unity in Christ, but we also have to think of their cultural heritage that is for generations that so deep-rooted. Mm -hmm. We cannot simply just public in that fashion. So I think of uh, Paul's uh, verses in First Corinthians, that what are among the Jews be like Jews or Gentile and Gentile. The probably after that when they arrived, when after certain years, then they feel that they need there's a need of mutual or understanding also of unity, then they can work toward that. So separate yeah. but uh, moving towards yes. a much more of a, a unified yeah. physically unified group. Mm -hmm. Would that be your answer to the? Not, not. I mean, 
not too far. Let, let them understand it and then okay. gradually work toward that. Okay, but not putting them together. Yeah. Where he says, now the farmer elders were on the third page in the bottom, the last paragraph. <laughs> what should he say to them and to the elders of the leather worker? Christians, should he force them to form a single church? If he did, the farmers would probably turn to Hinduism. Or should he encourage them to form separate churches and then seek to build fellowship between them over time? Uh, but what would this say about the unity of the body of Christ to both groups? These arguments were rushing through his head as he saw the farmer elders coming down the road. Your view is then, within time, you would let them, you would keep them separate in order to evangelize the different castes in their own setting and not bring them together on so. How, is there any further thinking on the subject and any other passages of scriptures that really influence your thinking? I think this is uh, the topic is unity and diversity in the church. We have to accept that the church has diversity, but diversity got to have a, a limit, you know, has to be a limit. It should not destroy the total unity of the church. Mm -hmm. And this was also discussed in the last WCC meeting about diversity and unity, although it's, it's in a different context. But I think it has been uh, things has gone too far, especially. Uh, promoted by the Church Growth Institute about the homogeneous church. Mm -hmm. This was especially in a society like India, like uh, Malaysia, we have multicultural, multicultural country. The church needs to have an impact to the society. What makes a difference? I think it's the unity of the church, people of different races, racial background, mm -hmm. of cultural heritage to come together. I think caste system is unpredictable in a way, you know. Foreign even country. yeah, even we, we should not in a way to be too radical to get it get it away at once. But uh, Christians should address to that issue. Okay, but his his view is basically saying that here we have the Christians divided. Yeah. And you're talking over this table, the unclean and the clean or the high caste and the low class caste. Now here, the discussion is that I won't come to this church uh, to worship with them. Because, uh, but biblically, I, uh, this is what Paul you know, experienced in Galatians chapter 2, you know. I believe especially in Galatians chapter 3, 28, mm -hmm. 28 all the, uh, uh, the antithesis over that they should have ecclesiological implication on them. It should not be just spiritual. Okay. So you would you would then pose upon them somewhat of I, I, I would pose upon Okay. I yes. Think, uh, uh, the issue in this article is not about culture, it's about the uh, the truth system. I mean the caste system in India came from their religion. They believe reincarnation. Yes. Uh, uh, the privilege of a particular class uh, came from their previous life. I mean, in this case, it's, it's different with uh, the, the, uh, the, the case in the early American history in any other country. Because yes, it, is it, it, is the, it, it, it is the antithesis between the truth system of Hinduism and Christianity. It is about the, what is true. What Jesus Christ is, how Jesus Christ revealed Himself in our life. 
It's not about cultural system. It's about re religious system. Yeah. If, if we give up uh, uh, to to walk with, walk walk along with the low class in India, we 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 mean we we are willing to do give up some part of our Christianity. It's, uh, I think uh, the, the, the missionary job has very dualistic idea about the, about the gospel. I, I don't think he has, he understands, he really understands the gospel, what Jesus Christ is. Okay. You see how, really, this is, this is a missiological question is both the theology and the anthropology really interesting. Very, very difficult. Um, we see that uh, Jesus is a servant of all the, uh, he comes into this world and uh, um, you, you're not permitted to associate with these other kinds of folks and where do they find Jesus? He's talking with the prostitute, he's eating with the tax collector, he's feasting with people. They respond seeing Jesus' involvement, um, again, extremely uh, anti-cultural, anti-religious, but the religious formation has been taking a warped uh, formation uh, over the years, even the Jews. And so uh, they, Jesus comes and splits that right down the middle, really, when he comes and begins to serve those that are not to be served. Yeah. You see, I, I see that today. I mean, that's what I think Cuts and Bill Christen is all about. The fact that the whites fled the city. The black church is thriving in the city. And we can't get it together with them. We want to come in with this paternal attitude and say, you need to start doing it our way. And, they, they need, and they're saying, wait a minute, the way we're doing it really works. And we're like, we can't get it together. And, and so it's a long, tedious process yeah. of bringing Christians of varying cultures and, and biblical traditions together. There was a, there was a two, uh, two years ago, there was a case study uh, from a student from, from here, from Westminster, working in the suburban community, charismatic church, rapidly growing, 500 to 800 and just moving on. Um, the question came up uh, that there was a black community nearby. This is working with primarily baby boomers, and so, and it was a thriving ministry. Uh, the, the, uh, they were reaching out or trying to talk to some folks that were in the community. Some of them were Afro-Americans. And the question came up in class, uh, what would you do if some of them, if you reached out and some of them were converted, would you bring them into the church? And they resisted to do that. The reason was that it would cause difficulty for the people that are there. The church may then level off and not grow any longer because you'd be bringing the Afro-American community in. And uh, some of them were not necessarily of the same middle class back. So it had also a socioeconomic gap between the people in the congregation, people in the community. So that was one of the reasons, and uh, the other one was that they felt, well, maybe the Afro-American wouldn't enjoy being with us anyway. The music wasn't uh, according to their culture and background. So that was the, uh, their argument. Why bring them in when it'll hurt the growth of the church? And not only that, the blacks will not enjoy the worship. I think another issue that John, or whatever his name is, John, is facing here is kind of the, the fruitfulness and effectiveness of the dollar because I think if he doesn't face that, then he's going to, he very easily could end up going with whatever's the easiest and not necessarily the best. I mean, 
I kind of happen to be on the side of putting them together, but maybe I'm too much of an idealist. But I think he's got to wrestle with that because if he does whatever, he, if he does bring them together, then that would, um, if the farm kept left, that would make it look like the last years of his ministry had been in vain in terms of fruit. And that may or may not be the right thing, but I think he at least has to face that, and maybe he is. But. Good discussion. Yes. Yeah, I, I look at this as a culture. In fact, John has his culture background as a Western yeah. And now he's in the Indian culture. So I'm thinking of uh, what I need in, in the church. Right? In fact, I, I serve in the church and I'm a pastor of Chinese congregation. And there are some Indonesians coming in. Yeah. Yes. And then after a while, I felt that it's, it's, better, it's, it's better that they have different groups. You see, uh, Chinese service. We continue Chinese service, and we have an in, uh, Indonesian service for the Indonesian. So then, after a few years, then they get to know each other better, and then well, I see this the unity is growing between these two congregations. Uh, it takes times. Now, in the beginning, because uh, they don't know each other very well, mm. they don't know each other background and cultural all this kind of heritage. So it takes yes, several few years, yes. And then after that, gradually they grow and they get to know each other. Let me give at least four areas that you will work on in your projects. Um, and uh, some of the tools that come out of uh, mayors, uh, Christian anthropologists. And you should use these as part of your overall uh, project. Um, the first one is the area of. Uh, participant observation and the, the basic idea here is that uh, something um, quite natural in, in, in developing our work is that we've got to do it from within the culture we've got to make observations within the system of the culture and I think even there you're going to have to be specific about uh, trying to narrow down on uh, the, the the people that you're going to do this observation uh, with. And so, um, uh, you know, for Bill it would be um, looking at the second generation possibly Hispanic community so that he can focus in on, on a particular group of people and then do his, his uh, ethnographic work. Uh, one of the things in this matter about you need to befriend someone and some of you because you have a local church in the area or you know some people already you may be able to do that quickly you don't have a great deal of time so when doing this observation you need to have someone there that's going to be key to interpretation to giving you some background so you need to befriend someone as an informant in a sense to give you a sufficient uh, material uh, in the culture so you're able to build with the limited amount of time that you have uh, in this class. Some way in which you can understand more of the culture. So that would be the participant observation. The second area, the second tool will be to do the interviewing. You're going to dig a little bit deeper than just the uh, observation uh, aspect. Uh, uh, you're going to ask, and I would suggest you make a series of questions that you may want to bring to class for discussion, but you will set up some questions that you can, uh, you can uh, um, ask and uh, interview folks with. So 
questions that are simple, maybe three, four, five questions that you can ask without necess not necessarily having a piece of paper in front of you. Now, the informant should be able to help you with those questions. The person in the community or someone that's been in that area a long time, a pastor in that church that's been there for a period of time, will be able to help you or a member in that congregation from that community may be able to give you some idea of what kinds of questions should you be asking. Number three is experimentation. Um, what you're basically doing here is more of an evaluation, but the material you've gathered on your observation, some of the conclusions about the culture and how to evangelize, you should test that through experimentation. Uh, for us, we don't have a whole lot of time to say, can we, what we've learned and how to evangelize uh, this group of people, um, uh, we're able to now uh, use it and test to see whether or not it, it is effective and what adjustments have to be made. You will probably not have enough time to do that. But I think you can test it by at least talking with some people in the community that are Christians that may feel very much uh, that your work is on target or it's missing something. So for an example, coming back to Bill's model, if he was to take his observations and his work and then put together his evangelistic thrust and he went to a church like, like the Chevarias church, not too far from you, and he was to ask the elders there or the pastor there, do you think these observations are accurate? Uh, do you also think that this way of evangelizing the community is the way to go? And he tested, he experiments with it by talking to another person that's been doing evangelism in the community. That would give him at least some response, and they may say no, he may still be determined that there may be some things here that are workable. That's fine, just list it. You've just got to be honest with your own study, your own research. What about gathering ideas from what they're already doing? Sure, you could also do that. The question about it is, uh, um, you're really trying to... Um, to do your observations well enough so that you can even critique what they're doing and see whether they're on target. The other one is really, uh, is I would just put down as further study. This only means that you should take whatever studies have been done in the culture and the community and study them in order to develop your work even further. So that your work, for example, um, would be there there may be people that have already done some work in that area the Jewish evangelism outreach and you may be able to therefore um, yeah gather some some uh, things that have been written up it's a good way of putting it uh, gather some things that have been written up uh, that will help you um, well those are four areas of that you need to look and they should be involved in your in your work and it should be clear enough. The experimentation is a difficult one because you've got to find someone to bounce these ideas off to say what do you think of it? You're, you should then write out some of the things that have come out of your discussion with the individual. Um, stick with your guns in areas you feel that are appropriate, make some changes and it should be documented. There, uh, You would state it in such a manner that says, we felt that there were three principles, there were seven of them, but three principles that the pastor indicated would not be workable in the community. We wrestled over these issues, 
came to the conclusion that uh, it made sense that we should not include them in our evangelistic uh, strategy for this community. And you stated, you documented your discussion with the pastor or with whoever the person is that you're going to experiment. In other cases, you would be able to work on them in your own community and kind of over a year's period see whether or not this is the way to go. We don't have that kind of time. So, um, what I'd like to do is just for our, our sake is to break and then we'll come think of that we're having. Uh, it's, it's certainly different in the sense it has some similarities to the black-white issue. Um, but um, in either case, there's major theological questions that we've got to respond to in trying to develop a model of ministry. Um, if we take it out of the context in which we found uh, the subject in, in our case study this morning, uh, and bring it, let's say, to the urban context um, in the city, uh, one of the things that uh, I'm noticing is uh, ministries that are geared towards reaching people in community of a different cultural background and a different socioeconomic uh, uh, background, um, but the ministry is a one-way street. In a sense, the ministry is to reach out to people, evangelize them, but you, you have, uh, there is no um, return to the body of Christ in incorporation. Um, the churches in Chicago that I was familiar with would have a tremendous holistic ministry to people that were marginalized, oppressed, and their ministries were there lasting and effective. But the problem with it was that we, we could never find them in the Sunday morning service taking the Lord's Supper together, participating in the life of the church. You see, so we were ministering to them, but the integration process was really, really difficult and sometimes impossible. And so after 20 years of ministry, some of them just gave up on the idea of trying to integrate this. And I think this is a fallacy. This is where it breaks down. And I'd like to get some feedback on you from you on this matter because uh, basically uh, Tippett uh, speaks of the uh, the church that's in the world but not of the world. He says sometimes these matters are in conflict. We're in the world but we're not of the world. And he deals with a subject that we will try to cover with Niebuhr later on about this whole matter of uh, Christ and culture. But uh, Tippett in uh, his material talks about that the church to communicate in this world does it internally and externally. In some ways, he is speaking about this kind of approach where, um, and it's kind of a continuing cycle where we're, um, we witness in the world there's conversion to, to Christ, incorporation into the fellowship, and because this incorporation is taking place, he basically believes that this is where the power of the church, this is where the, the church is effective and not uh, defective. He believes that here is where you begin to witness again with authority and with power. But if this is weak here, he feels this will also be weak in the witness that comes forth from the church. Now, somewhere along the way, this breaks down, and here's why I'm saying that the case studies of the churches, at least, that I've described in the, in the context here in the United States, 
It is something happens here in the corporation, the fellowship, and therefore there's a, a very weak outreach approach. For, you know, all they can do is basically take care of material needs. They never have any conversion take place. People are not coming to Christ. They wonder why we're sharing, and, and, uh, and typically comes back to saying, the reason is that you really are not coming as a unified group of people. Um, and uh, you have, um, and he feels this is the hardest part, is coming to the incorporation part, um, where you incorporate uh, the multitude of cultures in your community, the, F, the socioeconomic distinctions are brought together in a unified way, um, and so, the, therefore, the church is uh, extremely limited. And he considered it to be uh, in defective in many ways. The impact is not there. Now, this may be important. Uh, yes? As, when you're talking about the, like, with the church that, that you mentioned, where they're doing kind of relief ministry and then they're trying to evangelize, yeah. I'm curious, um, in terms of, like, scripturally how this plays out uh, is our command to evangelize and do relief ministry are they separate commands or are they things that are supposed mm -hmm. supposed to happen together I mean I know that we're commanded to, to give to the poor but I'm wondering if the scripture is connected that we give to the poor simply because we're supposed to or do we give to the poor to get them to come to Christ and, mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. I'm wondering about that that's not the issue, how that plays out. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we have all these theologians here. <laughs> they can resolve this question because it is an ongoing debate. I, you know, I want to... May I, may I just say the sideline to your question is that what I have discovered as well is that when evangelism is not, um, it's done with some fear and, and tremble, that there is a sense where social action becomes the prominent force of the church. Uh, and they adjust their theology then to say that we're caring for people and that evangelism and all of this is together. But in reality, what they've done is psychologically is they've taken the area that they feel most comfortable with, and that is going to be that they're able to provide. And I don't think they're separate. Aspects. I think it happens, and you don't go to a place and say, I am providing for the people in need uh, and giving them shelter, and all of a sudden now I evangelize and I present the gospel, and then I give them food and shelter, and now I give them the, you know, it's yeah. life is very, very uh, much more integrated. And so we're sharing the good news about internality, we're also sharing the good news about uh, present situations that they're facing, and it's happening in both cases. Christ is the one that's doing this to us. And so I don't separate the two. My fear is that in both cases we've got reductionist perspective. One is the evangelical that really is having difficulty in challenging people to claims of Christ for their eternal situation and then uh, go to social action as a prominent force. Would you say a fair scriptural um, justification of that would just be like using the models like Christ both feeding and evangelizing at the same time, or feeling and evangelizing at the same time? Is that a fair way to I think it is, but I think there's more to it, and that's why uh, I feel that a good book is also um, the one that Harvey wrote on uh, preaching justice, and uh, I think it's the title of it now, but you know. Evangelism, preaching justice. Yes.
very helpful because he does more studies here. Yeah, um, I believe that the two goes together because uh, you cannot separate uh, welfare program and then uh, evangelism. Because, for example, in Ghana, way back in 1983-82, even though I was not in the country, uh, our church had uh, such an experience. Uh, there was actually, let me say, farming. And, um, you know, all the farms in the country got burnt up with fire. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was really starvation. Mm -hmm. People were living on only on coconuts and all the seeds. And uh, our church uh, came in with food and other things, you know. And then after that, when the church went in for evangelism, you know, mm -hmm. you know, it increased the 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 normal uh, of the church, you know. So I believe that both mm -hmm. goes together. You cannot leave the other one. Because you cannot go to somebody to evangelize to him who is hungry and he needs food and then you just go there and sit down in front of him and say, Okay, let us have a word of God. You know, he will not be happy. But if you can provide his needs and you you you, you make him more happier and then when you open the word of God, I believe that uh, he's going to accept it all heartedly. This is a question about good news uh, in our own, in our present class, just how would you define your content and uh, what, how would the gospel be interpreted as good news? Um, yes. I wanted to, oh, sorry, did you No, go ahead. You mentioned the problem of getting people to push together in yeah. different cultures. Um, I see that. I mean, I, I, asked a, I asked a fellow once who wasn't a Christian, I said, if I walked down into your, your projects, Mm -hmm. that. What would you think of me? I would be either, I'd be thought by most people to be a narc or somebody, you know, with law enforcement. I mean, he said it would be very, very strange. Um, I you guess used to go to the housing authority and, and, uh, and evangelize? Yeah. But, um, it's mostly a black context? Yeah, say? I think so. Okay. I haven't been there, but, like, I guess part of the problem is, like, worship, you know, we have, if you're talking about a multi-ethnic society, yeah. especially in the United States, there are all different traditions of Christian worship within those, those groups. You have the Pentecostal, Hispanic worship, very festive, yeah. mm -hmm. dancing, clapping their hands, mm -hmm. and songs. And you have the Good Roman stuff. Catholic, Hispanic stuff, very serene, mm -hmm. you know, um, perhaps not the same. Then you have the, the black culture, you know, the, the same way it gets you going. Mm -hmm. Then you have the white people, <laughs> hymn books. Straight in the chair, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I guess part of my thinking is maybe that you have to teach people, first of all, you have to cater to all the different cultures yeah. in your congregation. But second of all, you have to teach them to be willing to, okay. to cross the barriers. Like, I've seen, I think New Life does that. Um, you know, they've got some services for the drums and the guitars and everything, and then they have songs that are hymns out of the hymn book. Yeah, I, I think that that's still a very cultural, they're still homogeneous in that. So I think contemporary Christians today love yeah. that kind of music. Yeah. They prefer it. They don't want to use. As a matter of fact, the whole vineyard movement is geared to that. Uh, use overheads, don't use hymnals. Uh, so it's still you're still pretty much on the. As uh, we talked about yesterday, nearly the E O, you know, E one kind of uh, approach. People are very similar there still, very very much alike. I think it's going to be radically different when you bring another ethnic group in there. 
Let me just read this. It, it just fits into the thing. I, uh, a Lutheran church in a black community uh, and a black adult convert who had recently joined our congregation. And they're talking. A uh, person that's uh, white and a person that's black who just came to know the Lord and just joined this church. I didn't mind that gospel song we tried to sing this morning. The Lutheran guy that's been here for years. But you know, there really was nothing much to it. The tune was catchy, but the words didn't say anything. Just the same thing over and over and over again. Why are those little songs so important to you people anyway? They just can't compare to our beautiful Dr. Lutheran hymns. <laughs> now, that's, very, that's a natural quote of a discussion between uh, a recent convert that's receiving this response to the, the try to do the same thing in a worship service, an evangelical Lutheran church that was trying to contextualize and bring together the black community and the existing community, which was uh, Lutheran, uh, German, and, and so on. Um, but that's the response. That's the response you'll get here, probably. Uh, how can you um, look at that service in the, uh, and, and not be in reverence and awe now the other group comes in and say, why aren't people shouting more? God is present. And we've got all these distinctions and so forth. It's a very complicated matter. Yeah, but um, this congregation and I have black and white, and, it's, and we hardly sing any hymns, but we sang all these, whatever, more contemporary songs. They've been very white, even though the congregation is mixed. And only in about the last, maybe, maybe the last, Uh, we 
apply to worship God with emotion. You know, that's, how, that's the reason why uh, you see all these things. Because uh, sometimes, for example, in Ghana, as like you said, you can see that uh, the Orthodox churches are losing even the young people because of this uh, 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 worship aspect. Uh, right now in Ghana, there are many new churches being formed, this ministry, this ministry, and all this. And you see that all the young people are moving there because they, you know, because of uh, their type of worship. You know, this gospel music, as you are saying, you know, they have a time for praises, singing praises. And then you see everybody, you know, show, moving, you know. And so you can see that it makes even the worship more expressive and then you feel more comfortable. And even if you have problems, even you will not even think about your problems anymore, you know. It, it, it's, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm sorry, they were, uh, you had uh, something yeah, to say. Uh, there, is, there is a very interesting thing in Manhattan. You know, they have healing stories. Uh, if I just knew this, the pastor, his wife, who has been educated in Union Theater, they have every, they have, they enjoy just music every, every,
if I'm going to work in another culture, if I'm going to try to understand another culture, the first thing I must do is understand my own culture. You must understand your own culture. That's been a problem with us even here. And I can recall just talking about, uh, give me some things about your situation. If I was to ask you to give me a list of things that are very unique about your culture, would you be able to give them to me? Some of you would very quickly be able to do that. But some would not be able to do that. You need to understand your own culture, and I think this is extremely important um, uh, to us. So that um, what I find is that when people begin to uh, understand, and interesting enough, there isn't a purity of culture. We often say, well, you're only, you're Puerto Rican, and therefore... Uh, that's the end of it. No, there's a mixture of three cultures involved. One of them is the Spanish culture that came in the early stages of the development of the island of Puerto Rico from Spain. They were imperialistic. Uh, and they took uh, the island, but there were Indians there, Bainu Indians. And the Indians, there were three to 6,000 Indians, and they were slaughtered by the Spaniards. But there was intermarriage. The slaves were brought off from the Mandingo tribe. We have food today that we call exactly the same that my, my wife makes uh, every so often for us. That's very much coming out of the, the slave trade that was brought to the end. You have three cultures, Spanish, European, the, uh, the Indian that were there, and then the, uh, the African culture. All mixed in. So Puerto Ricans have these. So there's no purity here of saying we're one, we're, we're from Spain or anything. Uh, that's why the offspring of our family, if you, if you look at our children and you look at uh, uh, brothers and sisters, we all look differently. One looks more European than the other. I look more European than my sister, who looks Indian. Long black hair, very dark. So there's that. Understand your own culture. I think that's crucial, and I, that's why I encourage some folks that there may be roots in the... Irish, Scottish, and a variety of German, Scandinavian, whatever the case is, I think it's important to understand your culture, to have some understanding of your culture, who you are, and then this context in which you are. And remembering that there are things that you uh, cannot change, and there are things that you must get to know uh, need to be changed. So that's one of the areas that Plus begins to speak to about uh, people that are going to go cross-cultural, is that you must understand your own culture.